0: Good evening, everyone. You know, okay, there we go. I have not introduced um, my wife and family to you, so I would like to do that right now. Atante, would you, if you can stand up. She says she already knows everybody because she's just been. But that's my wife, Atante, and um, Joshua, would you, the one that looks just like me, that's my son. And Jaden is... Right in the the, um, kids room with Genesis and Justice is on his way, well not on his way, he's on his way but he's not on his way yet, he is due October 19th and uh, so that's right around the corner. So uh, please pray for our family and it's good to see you tonight, Uh, we are going to get into the subject This evening, which is entitled, God's End Time Weapons of Victory. So let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you so much for your truth. Lord, we ask that as we go through your word tonight, that you would bring us a revelation that will change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Be with me, Lord, as I speak. Amen. Uh, We are going to do a little recap uh, because there's a saying that repetition deepens the impression. And by now, for those of you who have been coming, you should be pretty, or at least getting pretty familiar with this. So you should be able to just move right along with me. We are going to start with the cause of the rebellion In heaven, and you'll remember that we, uh, in previous nights, have uh, seen that heaven was a was a perfect place uh, in the beginning. But something happened. One of the angels that was created, perfectly created, uh, created with freedom of choice, because God is love, and love does not demand or love does not force love in return. Love is, how do I say it, love can only be, uh, love must be given back freely. So God created these angels in love, gave them the freedom of choice, so they had the freedom to love him back, and the freedom to what? Reject him. And one angel chose to go against, uh, or use this freedom of will to go or rebel against the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says in Ezekiel 20:15, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. What is iniquity, everyone? Iniquity is lawlessness, which means that there must have been a law in heaven and Satan rebelled against this law. The Bible goes on to say, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuary. Speaking of Satan, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities and by the iniquity of thy traffic. In other words, there was something that Satan defiled in heaven and what is that thing that he defiled in heaven? The sanctuary. And what do we see? That the sanctuaries actually means holy places. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. So, God's sanctuary is synonymous with his what? With his throne. So, when Satan rebelled against or defiled, purposely defiled the sanctuary in heaven, what he was doing was he was rebelling against God's throne. What do you do from a throne, everyone? You rule. God, Satan was rebelling against the throne or the rule or the law or the sanctuary of God. The law of self-sacrificing love was the law that was in heaven. The Bible says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When Satan was rebelling, he was rebelling against the law of self-sacrificing love. The law of self-sacrificing love puts others first. Satan said, no, I want to be what? First. And so he began to rebel against this law. He, he began to become prideful uh, in his own beauty and said, you know, I can be like God. Notice Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14. The Bible says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Why? For thou said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my what? Throne. Now remember what we said the word throne symbolized. The word throne symbolizes what? Rule or dominion. Satan says, I want to set up my own throne above the stars of God. I want to set up my own government, my own rule above the stars of God. Who are the stars of God anyway? They were the angels. We see that in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 and verse 9. The stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now remember what's going on here. Satan is saying that he doesn't need God's what? Law, but yet he's saying I will be like the Most high. Now, what do we say the most high is like, everyone? Loving, kind, righteous, holy. All those good attributes we think of. Satan here is saying, hey, I am so good. I am so perfect that I can be just like God without obeying his law. God, I don't need a law. Laws are for slaves. Why are you giving me a law telling, why are you giving us a law telling us that we must, that, uh, uh, you know, we must love you? Did the law say you must love God? No, because Jesus gives us freedom of what? Freedom of choice. God sets out this law and Satan says, hey, we don't need a law to be, to be, uh, uh, to be holy. He begins to tell the other angels in heaven, trafficking his merchandise. We read that a little bit earlier. Remember we said the word trafficking meant... When you think of trafficking, you think of selling something what? Illegal. Satan begins to traffic, as it were, his merchandise. And what is that merchandise? Hey, angels, listen. You don't need a law to be holy like God. Man, God is just a dictator. He just wants to keep you down. He is, he, he is not what he, what he claims to be. He's not about freedom of choice. If he were about freedom of choice, he wouldn't give us a what? A law. Brothers and sisters, that's a pretty... Tricky argument. Notice what the Bible says. After the angels listened to Satan, one third of the angels listened to Satan, it says there was war in heaven and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with freedom of choice. They had the same freedom of choice that the angels had, which means that they must also be subject to who? To Satan's, let me rephrase that. They must be given the freedom to listen to Satan's arguments. Does that make sense? In other words, freedom of choice means that I can listen to what I want to listen to. I can listen to who I want to listen to. I have the freedom to hear what they have to say, just as people have the freedom of speech. Satan or Adam and Eve were given the freedom of choice. Satan comes to them and he exalts his throne above them. Why? Because God had created this tree and said, Adam and Eve, don't do what? Don't eat from the tree. Adam or Eve rather says, uh, uh, listens to Satan. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Whose throne were they now under? They were now under Satan's throne. Satan had successfully exalted his throne above humanity. Just like he did in heaven. And by the way, what, did, what was it that Satan told them according to Genesis chapter 3? When, when, when Eve said to, to the serpent, uh, God has said we shall not touch the tree lest we die. What did, what did Satan say to her? Listen, God knows that if you eat of the tree, you will be like... God's knowing good and evil. In other words, if you eat from this tree, you don't need a law to tell the difference between good and evil. You can be like God's knowing good and evil all by yourself. The very same thing he used to deceive the angels in heaven is the very same thing he used to deceive Adam and Eve. You can tell the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness on your own. So Satan exalts his throne above humanity. Humanity rebelled against the what, everyone? Sanctuary of heaven. That's what they were rebelling against, the throne of God. Listen, because the carnal mind, and the word carnal means fleshly. The carnal mind is enmity. The word enmity means at war with. So because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not what? Subject to what? The law of God neither indeed can be. Do you want to know if you have a carnal mind? Maybe you don't want to know. <laughs> Here's how you can tell if you have a carnal mind according to the Bible. When God's law of self-sacrificing love is presented to you, what do you do? <sighs> Can't hear it. Now, brothers and sisters, we all are born with carnal minds. And so every one of us by nature is rebellious against the law of God. That's why it was natural for me to get involved in the hip-hop industry and to grow my dreadlocks and to, you know, do all those things, begin smoking marijuana and drinking and all these things because it was natural for me to be rebellious against God. My mind was not subject to the what? Law of God. But Christ has come to abolish the... Carnal mind and give us a new mind, which is the spiritual mind. We're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight. The goal of the gospel is to lead lost humanity back to the what? Law of self-sacrificing love. Does that make sense so far? All creation was in unity with the law of self-sacrificing love, which was found in the sanctuary of God. But then Satan chose to rebel, turned the angels against that law of self-sacrificing love, brought a war in heaven. They were kicked out. They do, they do the same thing on earth for humanity. So now the gospel, the purpose of the gospel is to lead lost humanity back to the law of self-sacrificing love. Now, brothers and sisters, you may have wondered in in the past, what is the purpose of the gospel? Is it just to save me? Is it just to, you know, what is it for? Here is the the reason in its uh, most irreducible form. It is to bring lost humanity back to the law of self-sacrificing love. Could you imagine what this world would be like if everyone kept this law? The law of self-sacrificing love where we put others first and others put us first. Oh, what a beautiful place. It would be like heaven. And that's exactly, let me tell you, heaven will never, not in our carnal state, in the way this world is, heaven will never be here on this earth. This is why Christ is coming back to get us, to take us back where? Up to the city of God. Now, the Bible says in Exodus 25, 8, this is God's gift, remember, that was going to uh, help humanity or help... uh, This was God's gift that was going to lead humanity back to the self-sacrificing law of love. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Exodus 25 and verse 8. Brothers and sisters, God's end time weapon is none other than the sanctuary. Because that sanctuary... Is given to defend us from Satan's end time WMDs. What are WMDs? Weapons of mass deception. And we saw one of them last night. We're going to be looking at more. Not particularly tonight, but we, because we're going to be focusing on on the sanctuary. But the sanctuary is given to defend us. To protect us from Satan's deceptions in the last days. This is why he does not want you to fully, what? Understand or grasp it. Bible says in Psalm 77, 13, Thy, what? Way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Now, when we talk about the way, what does that mean? When I say, hey, what's the way to get to... Uh, San Luis Obispo. We're talking about what? Directions, right? So, beloved, the Bible is telling us that the directions, and when we're talking about directions, we must be talking about to a certain place. Where are we trying to get to? Heaven. Notice, beloved, the directions to heaven. The directions for the lost because we are all what? Lost without Christ. The directions for the lost is found where? In the sanctuary. So you begin to see why Satan does not want us to understand this sanctuary. Now here's a beautiful picture of that sanctuary. There in the desert, God told Moses, I want you to build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And you'll notice that these little things right here are tents that surrounded the sanctuary. Now, up until this time, we have talked about the sanctuary, but we have not talked about the items in the sanctuary. We're going to be doing that tonight. Notice Leviticus 25 verse 38 very briefly. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of where? Egypt to give you the land of what? Canaan and to be your God. Now, what is this verse talking about? Israel had been in captivity for over 400 years in Egypt. Well, God comes to them and he tells them that he's going to deliver them and he delivers them through Moses. Well, once they leave Egypt, God speaks to them and says, I brought you out of Egypt and I'm going to bring you into the land of Canaan. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a miniature model of the great plan of salvation where God wants to lead us from spiritual Egypt. What do I mean by spiritual Egypt? Bondage, captivity. He wants to lead us from spiritual Egypt into spiritual Canaan, which would represent heaven. Very good. Very good. Now, I want you to notice what God used To lead the children of Israel from Egypt into Canaan. Very good. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning so it was always, so it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So over this tabernacle that God had instructed Moses to build, by day there was a cloud above this tabernacle and by night there was fire. Every day and every night. And the Bible says, uh, continues on, and when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that, the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. Numbers 9, 15, and 17. So imagine this now with me. When the the cloud would rise up and begin to move, what did the children of Israel know had to happen? They had to follow the cloud. But they followed the cloud that was moving over the... Over the sanctuary, very good. Same thing with the fire by night. In other words, it was God through the sanctuary, leading the children of Israel from Egypt into the promised land of Canaan. Is that clear? Alright, now, because we have a quiz coming up. Okay, notice Exodus 15, 16 and 17 chapter 15 verse 16 and 17 God again speaking to the children of Israel thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of that inheritance in the place O Lord which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the what? Sanctuary O Lord which thy hands have established now I want you to notice this very carefully God says that his, his goal was to bring his people ultimately into where? The sanctuary, which, who? Thy hands have established. Now, what sanctuary was this? Let's notice Hebrews 8, 2. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the what? true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man in other words God's ultimate goal for you and I is to bring us into the sanctuary how many of you would like to go there brothers and sisters what a high privilege for God to seek lost sinful humanity and say my goal is to bring you into that heavenly sanctuary from which Satan himself was expelled alright Notice this, for as many as are what? Led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's Romans 8.14. God wants to do what with us today, brothers and sisters? He wants to lead us. He wants to lead us. Now, here comes our quiz. God, through the earthly sanctuary, led his people into an earthly promised land. Question, what is the purpose of the heavenly sanctuary? Ooh. Let me. To do what? To lead us into the heavenly promised land. Man, you guys are brilliant. Ooh. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's pretty obvious if God used an earthly sanctuary to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt into Canaan, then he is using the heavenly sanctuary for this very same purpose to lead us out of this earth, out of this world, into the kingdom of heaven. And he will do it only through his sanctuary. This is why, for the most part, Many, many people have never heard of the heavenly sanctuary or don't even understand it. There is a reason why, because if the enemy can confuse us about this heavenly sanctuary, then we will be like wandering children in the wilderness that will never make it to the promised land. The sanctuary, beloved, is the DNA of salvation. I was just reading about DNA today, and I was reading how the discovery of this, of DNA in 1953... So impacted the scientific community, they discovered that this was the basis of all living that this DNA contained the code the genetic, the genetic code for our life, and that has totally changed science it 's kind of like a fingerprint that they find everywhere in life well beloved, what the DNA is to the human life, the sanctuary is to salvation. Does that make sense? The sanctuary you find the sanctuary print. All over the plan of salvation. And we're going to look at this tonight. We're going to see how the sanctuary is God's end time weapon. Now, notice a picture of the sanctuary here. And you had the articles of furniture. We talked about some of these a couple of nights past. But in the court, you have the altar of what? Burnt offering. And then if you move it up a little further, you had what was called the laver. Now, this is where animals were sacrificed. This is where the priests would wash their hands, and very often you know they would they they had to wash their hands and feet because of you know blood or dust or dirt. They had to be clean before they went into the sanctuary or the tabernacle. right. If we move into the sanctuary now, there were two compartments called holy places, and in the holy place, you have the holy place, a curtain that divided. From which divided the most holy place. In the holy place you had the table of showbread. You had the altar of incense which was right here in the middle. And then you had the seven branch what? Candlestick. And then you would enter into the most holy place. And there was the Ark of the Covenant. With the two covering angels or cherubs. One of which Satan was in heaven. So this is what the sanctuary looked like. Here is a bird's eye view and get used to this screen because we're going to be be flipping through on this particular screen. This is a bird's eye view of the sanctuary. According to Exodus 30 verse 28, this was called the altar of sacrifice. According to Exodus 30, 18 to 20, this was called the laver. This is where the priests would wash their hands. Table of showbread. Altar of what everyone? Incense. Seven branched. Candlestick and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the sanctuary, and this is where it gets exciting for me, the sanctuary is the blueprint of the plan of salvation. You will find it so many places in the Bible. You find the sanctuary in the very way that God led the children of Israel from Egypt to Canaan. Now, let me see how many of you know your Bible. How many of you remember the first thing that God told the children of Israel to do as he was preparing to lead them out of Egypt? They were to, they were to do something with their houses. Remember, put some what? Blood on the post. They were to sacrifice an animal. Now let me ask you something. What article of furniture would that most likely represent in the sanctuary? The altar of what? Sacrifice. That's what we call the Passover. When the children of Israel sacrificed that animal and they uh, put the blood upon their posts. An animal was slain. Representing who, everyone? Jesus. Now, who remembers what happened after they left Egypt? This is Exodus chapter 12. Let me do this. In Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel passed through the what? Through the Red Sea. Do you think that's coincidence? Do you think it's just coincidence that first the children of Israel sacrifice an animal and then as they're leaving Egypt, God happens to part the Red Sea by the way the labor represented what? Where you did what? Washed. If you read in Exodus 16, remember Exodus 12, now Exodus 14, Exodus 16, God gives them, when they get on the other side, God gives them a test. Who remembers what the test was? Hint, hint. God rained down manna, which, is a, which was bread. Jesus says it was the bread that God rained down from heaven back over in the New Testament. God rains down manna, which would symbolize the table of what? Of showbread. Very good. In Exodus chapter 19, just before the children of Israel get to Mount Sinai, God says to them, in Exodus 19, why don't you open it? Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. Exodus 19, 5 and 6, the Bible says there, now therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all my, above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of what? Priests and a holy nation. Now you say, well, what does it have to do with the seven branch candlestick? Well, the seven branch candlestick, brothers and sisters, represented the people of God. How many of you remember a verse where Jesus says, you are the Light of the world. A candle set on a hill cannot be hid. The seven branch candlestick represents God's royal nation. So notice what you have happening here. God is leading the children of Israel out of captivity. And look at the process through which he leads them. Sacrifice, washing, word, nation. And then if you notice in Exodus 19 and verse 10. Notice what it says here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day for the third day will the Lord come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. In other words, during those three days, what were the children of Israel to be doing as they knew that they were going to come face to face with God? They were to be In self-contemplation, they want to be sanctifying themselves, they want to be praying and, and searching their hearts, brothers and sisters, and then we find in Exodus chapter 20, what? Who knows what Exodus chapter 20 is about? God on Mount Sinai coming down and speaking his what? His law. You think that's coincidence? I don't think so, brothers and sisters. I think that this is the divine blueprint for the plan of salvation. Notice that the sanctuary points out the way of the life of Jesus. Now, who can tell me where Jesus was born? All right, Bethlehem, very good, but let's get more specific. Think sanctuary with me now. Come on, all those nativity scenes, brothers and sisters. He was born in a a manger. What do we hold in mangers? Animals, Jesus was born among animals in a manger. Where were animals sacrificed in the sanctuary? At the altar of what? At the altar of sacrifice. Jesus was born ready to what? Ready to die. He was born a living sacrifice for us. Not only was he born in a manger, but at the age of about 30, Jesus went to a place called the Jordan and was what? Baptized. You think this is coincidence? I don't think so, brothers and sisters. Christ is baptized. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. You can read it there. He went to the Jordan. He was baptized. The Spirit of God descends upon him. Now, after he is baptized, notice Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Matthew 4 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says here. Then was Jesus led where? Just read me that next word. Then was Jesus led? Nope. Nope. I just want the next word right after led. Then was Jesus led where? Up. If we go up from here, where do we enter? We enter into the what? The holy place. Now, how many times was Jesus tempted in the wilderness? Three times. Do you think it's coincidence that there are three articles of furniture in the holy place? I don't think so, brothers and sisters. Let's see what happens. Matthew 4 and verse 3. Let me read verse 2. The Bible says, or let's start with verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you be the son of God, command that these stones be made... Oh man, you guys. You guys don't know how to get excited. Oh boy. Oh boy. Stones bread. Let me ask you something. Do you think Satan is beginning to figure out a, a principle here? Do you think Satan's beginning to understand something here? Why would Satan just come up to him and say, Hey, why don't you turn those stones to bread? Do you think Satan under, was beginning to understand this sanctuary principle of the plan of salvation? I think so, brothers and sisters. What's the next temptation? Notice verse uh, 5. Then the devil taketh him up. We ought to read Jesus' response. Verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we know that that table of showbread represents the word of God. But verse 5 said, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the what? temple and said unto him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. In other words, Satan says to him, now listen, why don't you jump off this cliff and then offer up prayer? Why don't you jump off this cliff and offer a prayer, but Jesus knew that that would have been what kind of prayer? Presumptuous prayer. Satan was now tempting Jesus with presumptuous prayer. Come on, God's going to hear you. Even if you disobey, God will hear you. Even if you tempt God, God will hear you. Jesus says, no, it is written. Notice verse 6 or verse 7. It is written, thou shalt not do what? tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him all these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. What was Satan offering Jesus? Listen. I know that you have come to save this world. And I know that there is a cross ahead of you. Look, you don't need to die. All you need to do is Bow down to me, and I'll hand them over to you. How does that sound, Jesus? Does Jesus take the deal? No way, brothers and sisters. Satan begins to understand the very principles of the sanctuary in that he tempts him three times at the very three articles of furniture that the sanctuary pointed out in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to notice, down in verse 12, Or rather verse 17. Jesus comes out of the wilderness and it says from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does it mean to repent? To turn away from. Let me ask you, what was Jesus' mission as, as the son of God when he began to preach repent? Repent from what? Repent from what? Repent from breaking the law of what? Self-sacrificing love. Brothers and sisters, it is so plain here that when you understand the sanctuary, there's no two ways about it. Deception cannot make, it way, make its way through the sanctuary and survive. So God gives us His blueprint to show us, look, Christ's very mission was to preach the what? The law of self-sacrificing love. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible reveals to us the way of Jesus' sacrifice. How many articles of furniture do you see there? Man, you guys are brilliant. Six is the answer, yes. Six pieces of furniture, brothers and sisters. How many of you can tell me, take a wild guess, Now, this one's going to be hard. How many places do you think Jesus was wounded? I don't know how you guys do it. Six places. He was pierced in his feet. He was punctured in his side. How many of you remember? If you read John 19, 34, it says the soldier pierced him in his side, and what came out? Water and water blood. How many of you remember what this article of furniture is for in the Old Testament? The priests would wash their hands that sometimes were filled with Blood. blood. Coincidence? No, brothers and sisters, the blueprint of the plan of salvation. He was pierced in his hands. How many of you know how Jesus died? What did he die from? Was it the pain? It was a broken heart. When he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And remember, this piece of furniture here represents prayer. So now Jesus is crying out to his father, my God, my God, and he hears no what? Answer. And the fact that he hears no answer is too much for him and he dies. And then we know that he had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And brothers and sisters, when I look at this picture, you know what I see? I see Satan's assault upon the sanctuary of God. Those those wounds in his hands, that wound in his side was Satan warring against the very principle, the very embodiment of self-sacrificing love. I hate you, is what he was saying. I'm going to pierce your feet. I know where all these places are in the sanctuary. And he wanted to destroy God's sanctuary. But, brethren and sisters, you remember when Jesus died? It was Satan's death knell. Amen. And you see there the shape of the cross. Thousands of years before Jesus Christ came to die on this earth, God told Moses make a sanctuary, he told him where to put the articles of furniture, and prophesied, showed the very fact that Jesus would die, the very place in which he would be wounded, and he died, beloved, to get rid of this government, does that make sense? Jesus came to die to get rid of this government of God, to get rid of this sanctuary of God. No, brothers and sisters, he came to die to what? Reveal to us the government of God, the law of self-sacrificing love. Now, the sanctuary also, and this is where we begin to get very, very, this is where the devil doesn't want us to get it, brothers and sisters. The way of Jesus in in his heavenly ministry. Now, Jesus died where? At that altar of sacrifice, which we would also say is the cross. That represented the cross, and that was here on the earth. But then he resurrected three days later, and he passes through the heaven, just as the children of Israel passed through the red see, so Christ passes through the heavens or the sky and at the same time in Acts 15, we read that his disciples were baptized, Pentecost he told the disciples go back you're going to get baptized with the spirit of God, so we find here Jesus' death, his resurrection and ascension into where? into the holy place there is no two ways about this. Once we understand the sanctuary the of the Old Testament, we, know, we now know exactly what Jesus did when he ascended into heaven. You know, some people think Jesus went to heaven and he just sat down on the right hand of God and now he's just sitting there for 2,000 years. Sitting there. Sitting there. Does that make sense? Let me ask you something. When Jesus died on the cross, now this is going to be a tough one. When Jesus died on the cross, was the plan of salvation complete? Was it all finished? Was everything done? Now see, normally it would sound sacrilegious to say something like, What do you mean? Jesus paid it all on the cross. And yes, he paid the full price on the cross. But brothers and sisters, what the devil would like us to do is to just cut off this whole thing right here and just say, Yeah, Jesus paid it all. Woohoo! Not realizing that as Jesus died and ascended that he's got another work to do in the where? In the sanctuary. So he says, look, as long as Jesus died, everything is good. But it's not Jesus' death, it's also his what? Resurrection, his life, and now his ministry in the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest. So, Jesus ascends, and if you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 13, John the Revelator says this, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me because he was on the island of Patmos. He heard a voice speak to him. It says, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Where is John looking at at this point in time? He is looking in the sanctuary, but where in the sanctuary? The holy place, very good, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ. So John the Revelator in 95 AD, when the book of Revelation was written, says he looked up and in vision, he saw Jesus where? In the sanctuary, and where in particular? In the holy place among the seven golden candlesticks. Now this is not to say that Jesus was not in the presence of, of his father. This whole sanctuary, all of heaven is filled with God's presence. Amen? Amen. So Jesus here is, is performing a work in the sanctuary... And if you notice Revelation chapter 8 verse 3, it moves us through the sanctuary. Verse 8 verse 3 says, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayer of all saints upon the what? Golden altar which was before the throne. So even in the book of Revelation, you see the sanctuary blueprint. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. If you try to understand the book of Revelation without the sanctuary blueprint, guess what's going to happen? You're going to come up with all kinds of crazy things. That's why God has given us the sanctuary. Now, I want you to notice this next verse. Revelation eleven eighteen 18, and 19. The Bible says here, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be what? Judged. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the what? Ark of his Testament. Revelation 11, 18, and 19. Question. If that is true, and I believe it's true because it's the word of God, what is the judgment going to be based upon? The what? The law of self-sacrificing love. Is that clear? I don't see any hands going up at all. (laughs) Is that clear? Is it clear that the judgment, when it says the judgment, the time that they should be judged, and all of a sudden the temple is opened, and in his temple is seen the ark of his testament, which happens to contain the law of self-sacrificing love, which happens to be the very law that Satan rebelled against in heaven? Listen to what James 2 verse 12 says. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be, what? Judged by the law of what? Liberty. What law are we going to be judged by? The law of liberty. Let us look at Ecclesiastes 12, 12 to 14. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his, what? What? commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil the judgment listen Jesus says this and behold I come quickly and my reward is what is with me to give every man according as his work shall be what is this verse saying to us When Jesus comes again, his what? Reward is what? Is with him. So if his reward is with him, that must mean that he knows who's going to get a good reward and who's going to get a what? I don't know if there's such a thing as a bad reward. But he knows who's not going to get the good reward. Amen? Amen? And if he knows who he's going to give his rewards to, then shouldn't that mean that a judgment must take place before Jesus comes again? Is that pretty clear? If Jesus comes to give out his rewards, it's because a judgment has taken place, which has decided who gets the reward and who doesn't. In light of that fact, brothers and sisters... Listen to this. The judgment is the process whereby a determination is made as to who will abide by the law of the heavenly. That's all the judgment is about. All right. The judgment says we want to repopulate heaven with people. However, only those who are willing to abide by the law found in the sanctuary will be able to come in. Why is that? Who is it that rebelled against the same law? Satan. And what did he get one third of the angels to do? Rebel against the same law. So wouldn't it make sense that Jesus, in allowing people back to heaven, has to make sure that they are what? Willing to do what? To keep that law? It only makes sense, beloved. And listen, the sanctuary is given to us to prepare us to pass the judgment. Now, we're getting ready to close here. This is our last sanctuary illustration. Number one, if you want to prepare, how many of you would like to prepare to pass the judgment? Just, yeah, that's a good, good, good choice. How do we prepare to pass the judgment? The sanctuary shows us. Point number one is that we must be willing to what? To confess our sins. We must be willing to accept the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Listen, the Bible says here, if we do what? Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. It goes on to say, if we say we have no sin. Verse 10, I don't have it up there. If we say we have no sin, we are a liar and we're making him a liar. We deceive ourselves. In other words, if I'm walking around saying, you know what, I'm pretty good. Just like Satan said in heaven. I don't need a law to be holy. I pay my taxes. I take care of my kids. God says, no, there's none righteous. No, not one. And every one of us, any one of us who wants to be saved, we must accept the blood of Jesus Christ. And so... We've got to be willing to confess. Let me tell you, you know what the devil does? He says, hey, you know what? If you confess your sins, then that's all that matters. You're safe now. You can go home. What do you think? Do you think that's it? All we have to do is confess. You know, I go out and, you know, every day I rob a store. I come home, confess, Lord, help me. No, not help me. Lord, forgive me for robbing this store. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And prepare me for tomorrow as I go out to rob the next door. Come home. Lord, help me for... I mean, forgive me for... No, it doesn't work like that. Yes, we confess our sins, but then Christ wants to what? To cleanse us. Brothers and sisters, we must move towards cleansing. God says, don't, don't just confess your sins. Now forsake them. Get rid of worldliness in your life. Wash yourself from the of earthliness. Wash yourself from the things of this earth. Look, Titus two thirteen and 14, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from what? All iniquity and do what? Purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Notice again, James 4, 8. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. It is not enough to just say, Lord, forgive me. We must ask to be what? Cleanse for our sin. And by the way, you know, there's a lot of, you know, stop smoking plans and stop doing this and stop... You know what the best... You want to know what the best six step stop smoking plan is? It's right there in the sanctuary, brothers and sisters. Get off of drugs. It's right there in the sanctuary. Kick your pornography habit. It's right there in the sanctuary. Any habit that you want to break, brothers and sisters, it's a six-step plan found right here in the sanctuary. And that's why the devil doesn't want you to understand it. Because it is the DNA of salvation. It is the way in which God delivers his people time and time and time again through the scriptures. Not only must we be cleansed, it's not enough to say I confess all my sins and now I'm cleansed. We must then begin, brothers and sisters, to do what? You guys are really good. How'd you guess that? Study the word, that's right. God says it's not enough for you to just say I've confessed my sins and I've been cleansed and I've given all these things up, but then you're ignorant about his word. No, because, brothers and sisters, listen, The Bible says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee what? Wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for what? Doctrine for what else? Reproof for correction, and for instruction in what? Righteousness, that the man of God may be Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all what? Good works. Brothers and sisters, you may have you know, kicked your smoking habit, but if you don't understand the word, the devil can still deceive you. Did you hear what I said? There are many good people out there who are following lots of false doctrine. They don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't do any of these things, and yet, they are following false teachings. So the devil says, hey, you know, as long as you, um, you confess Jesus and now you got rid of your cigarette or you don't do this anymore, do it anymore. You're all right. You can stop now. Don't go any further. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. We're behind you. But stop right there. How many of you want to listen to that? My hand wasn't raised. either. i was just use that as an example. All right. Listen. Then we come to the church. God's people. The Bible says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, the seven branch candlestick is about us us showing our light to the world. Do you know that in today's society, Christians are really, really afraid to show and say that they are Christians? We like to hide and kind of, well, you know what? They may not think that I'm cool if I actually say that I'm a Christian. And so we hide our light and we don't let, and that light, brothers and sisters, is to convert other people. So the devil says, okay, you know your word, but just be quiet now. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. Why would anyone else want to listen to it? You may offend some people, so just don't talk. You, you saw the way they looked at you when you are up there preaching, you better stop. No, brothers and sisters, as, as once we begin to follow this path into the sanctuary, God is leading us step by step to, to, to have his very character. Jesus Christ didn't care how anybody looked at him. He spoke the word, amen? And he lived the word, amen? And God calls us to live out the truth that we know. Don't hide it under a bushel. You know the song, hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it what? I'm going to let it shine. And I remember, brothers and sisters, as I was out there in that entertainment industry and, and appearing on Soul Train and all these different things. And God began to say to, me, say to me, you are not letting your light shine. You are trying to live two different lifestyles, brothers and sisters. I could trace my very own conversion through the sanctuary where I first gave my life to Christ. I said, okay, I'm safe now. No more. God said, no, nope, you got to clean up. Oh, man, I got to clean up, and I had to take all these things off of me, and I had to really stop listening to some things I was listening to and watching some things that I used to watch. And I said, okay, now, God, that's enough. And he said, nope, time for the word. Okay, Lord. And I start to read and study his word. All right, Lord, that's it. He says, nope, now I'm going to call you to to, to preach. (laughs) And the Lord called me, brothers and sisters, and I'm telling you, each one of you are somewhere on that map. You may not have even, uh, now you may be on the map somewhere out here, but you're somewhere on this map. You see, some of us may not have even begun the walk yet. But Christ says, and I, if I be what? Lifted up will draw all men unto me. He is attempting to draw us, brothers and sisters, through the sanctuary. And now we come to the incense, which is prayer. You know what God says? He says, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. If you are not communicating with me, your knowledge is nothing. It doesn't matter how much you learn in this seminar, and you go home and your mind is all like, wow, now I see things differently. He's saying it doesn't even matter if you know the truth. If you know the truth, and yet you are not having a connection with me through prayer, it avails how much? Nothing. You can know all the plans of Satan's deceptions and all what he's going to do and all what's going to happen in the last days and still end up lost because, brothers and sisters, prayer is where the power is at. God is moving us through the sanctuary, beloved. It says in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication, which is part of the armor of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We ought to always be praying when Jesus' prayer was so important to Jesus that when his father didn't respond back to him, he what? He died. Do you die when you don't talk to God for a couple of days? Do you even notice when, you're not talking to, when you haven't talked to God for a couple days? Prayer was so important to Christ that when Jesus did not respond to him, it literally broke his heart. God says, Christ says, that's where I want to get you. I want to get you to the place where prayer is so important to you. Let me ask you, can we do this and then just jump to here and forget everything else in this sanctuary? No, we're not following the pattern. We must follow the pattern. And finally, beloved, it says, John 14, 15, if you love me, do what? Keep my what? Now notice what he says here, if you what? Love me. In other words, the test that we love Jesus, that Jesus himself puts out, the test that we love him, that we have the law of self-sacrificing, love abiding in our hearts, he says, if you love me, do what? Keep my what? Commandments. It's real simple, brothers. There, there's no two ways around it. But if thou will enter into life, keep the what? Commandments. Matthew nine seventeen. That's Jesus speaking there. Matthew twenty two thirty seven 37-40. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great what? Commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I want you to notice again, he that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that what? Loves me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John 14, 21. The goal of the gospel is to lead us back step by step to the where? Throne of God. Back to harmony with the kingdom of heaven. And it prepares us for the judgment which decides who is subject, who would be subject to heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, If any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and let him do what? Take up his cross and let him do what? Follow me. How many of you see the path right here, brothers and sisters? You see it? This is the path. Right there before your eyes. The plan of salvation mapped out for you to see. This is the path. This is the path Jesus walked. And he said, I want you to pick up your cross and do what? Follow me. Revelation Star Wars is about stopping you from advancing towards the where? The throne of God. Stopping you from keeping the law of the sanctuary. Let me ask you something. Is it a denial of the cross? If we say, I'm not going to do this. You see the picture? Is it a denial of the cross if we say, hey, you know what? I'll do all these, but I'm not going to do this one. Is it a denial of the cross of Christ? Come on, think with me now, brothers and sisters. Is it a denial of the cross of Christ? Yes, is it a denial of the cross of Christ when you say, I'm not going to, I don't want to hear about the word. I don't care what the word has to say. Brothers and sisters, to deny any one of these articles is to have the very same spirit of who? Who? Satan, who said I don't need to abide by the sanctuary or the law or the government of God and that's what he wants to do he wants you to stop and camp out right here just stop, camp out right here he doesn't want you to ultimately get where that's right alright and hereby we do know that we know if we keep his commandments he that saith I know him and keepeth not his what commandments is a what liar and the truth is not in him that's what john said loving old john said if you don't keep his commandments you are a liar now are we all liars by nature raise your hand no i said raise your hand no i'm telling you raise your hand yes we are all liars by nature so don't be offended when john liar <laughs> yeah we're all liars But Jesus says, I've come to make you something more than a liar, to make you something better than a liar. I've come to give you a new mind and a new heart so that you can do what? Keep his commandments. And we ought to say amen to that. Remember Satan's challenge or Satan's merchandise? I don't need a law to be holy. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. I can be like God without being holy. Now, you notice I have there the word base. Get into my last, I think, two slides here. See that word there, bass? Now, when I was a kid, and even now sometimes, I play freeze tag with the kids. And uh, sometimes I make up, you know, freeze tags, you you, you don't have any bass. But sometimes I make up bass because I don't feel like running. And uh, you all remember playing tag? What was bass about? Base was where you were safe. Base was where you couldn't be touched. They could run up to you and you'd be like, sorry, base, base. Now, beloved, there's a reason why I put base up here because it's like a a game of life or we might say a game of death. Satan knows where base is. How many of you see where base is? Yeah, it's almost like baseball. But we're not talking about baseball, we're going to use base. Our ultimate goal is to get where? To base. And where is base? It's in the most holy place, where the throne of God is, where the presence of God is, where the law of love is. And once we get into base, the devil cannot do what? Cannot touch us. Notice Psalms 25, 7. For in the time of what? Trouble, he shall do what? Hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Beloved, when we get into this place here, when we move because we're following the lamb and we may struggle and fall, but we're saying, Lord, I'm determined. And we make it to where we are now in the most holy place. And we've got the law of God and we appreciate the law of God. And we're saying, Lord, write your law upon my heart and upon my mind. God says, I'm going to. I'm going to make it base for you. So that when the devil comes and he tries to do all his things in the time of trouble, he will not be able to do what? Touch you. How many of you would like to not be touched by Satan in that time, beloved? Behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And then it goes on to say, blessed are they that do what? His commandments that they may have what? Right. That they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. This man, hypothetically speaking, ran the race. He made it to the altar of sacrifice. He made it to the laver. He made it to the table of shoe bread. He made it to the altar of incense. He made it to the seven-branch candlestick. And he made it to base. And God says, enter in. Enter in. You notice that gate there? Jesus says, enter ye in at the What? Straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto eternal life and few there be that find it. That gate is Jesus Christ, beloved. Jesus Christ is the gate that brings us into the sanctuary and starts us on the path to base. So our closing verse here, John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse one. the Bible says, there verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the what by the door, into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a what and a robber. It says, "But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth and the sheep." And the, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And then verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Beloved, how many of you want to follow Jesus? You know, we talk about following Jesus, and we have no idea where he is or where he's going. Let's follow Jesus, okay. Okay. Where is he? I don't know. Where is he going? Not sure. What's the way? Let's just try to be good. We'll figure it out somehow. The sanctuary is the blueprint, beloved. The way has been laid out before you, and now it's up to you of your own free choice to say, I will follow thee, my Savior, Athena.